So the book of Philemon. Do you ever receive an email by mistake? Have you ever received one by mistake? It's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's more interesting when it's by mistake than if it's on purpose. And sometimes you read one and you think, oh, no, this is actually meant for me, but I'm in halfway through the thread. So you've got to try and backtrack because what's written in this email doesn't make any sense to you. So you're brought into a problem that needs to be solved and you're looking at it thinking, oh, I need the context. So you scroll down, down to the bottom of the email to find out what the original email was. And as you scroll up, question, question, answer, question, you get a picture of what the problem is and you get some sort of an idea of where your part is in it. Sometimes I zone out when I'm in the middle of a conversation. I don't know if you ever do that. If you're a dad, you've zoned out. Be honest. If you're not a dad yet, look forward to this. Sometimes you have a mini sleep when you're in the middle of something, sitting on an armchair. I'm, I, give me an armchair, I'm gone. Um, and then a question comes to you. I fell asleep in university once at a lecture, and a question came specifically to me. And there was about 50 people in the room, but he saw that I was sleeping, and he fired off a question at me. And as I was waking up, because someone gave me a nudge, I tried to work out what on earth came before this question. What am I being asked? And um, I worked it out. um, And I woke up and answered the question. And shame on me, the lecturer approached me and apologized to me a couple of days later. He said, I'm really sorry, I thought you were sleeping. And I thought, I was sleeping, but I just can't bring myself to admit to it right now. So I said, that's okay. Philemon is a brief letter. It's a one-off letter. You don't get the thread. You don't get the the whole email trail. And God says to us in 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This book is for us. And as I said, I think it's full of inspiration and full of... um, just guidance for us. And it's an easy one to ignore because it's just before Hebrews, which is great. It's just after a load of church um, letters and letters to um, Timothy and Titus, which are, they're obvious, they're, they're practical. But in its most basic form, this letter is a letter from Paul to Philemon, and it's about Onesimus. Other people are mentioned You've got Timothy mentioned, um, who is in the company of Paul at the time. You've got Apphia and Archippus mentioned, who are in the company of Philemon, receiving the letter, and the church in his home. And whilst we've got a couple of people named as the senders and a few people named as the receivers, this is very much a letter from Paul to Philemon. It's likely that Timothy approves of the message in the letter. And it is also likely that Paul is happy to have a group of people also know about the contents of this letter. People have described this as a masterclass of persuasion, this letter. Okay? Um, and I'm not entirely sure. I think it might be a test case of how to deal with conflict in a church setting So my structure is Paul, Philemon, Onesimus. Conclusion. If you want to follow, if you're making notes, or if you're doodling, that's fine too. 
you can doodle. The first word of this. <clears throat> this is great. Paul. That's the first word. So when I'm answering the phone, if I'm answering the phone to my father-in-law, he's got this knack of saying his name. Just saying his name. And I pick up the phone expecting somebody to go, hi, hi Ben, it's so-and-so here. He just says, Jonathan. So I pick up the phone. Hi. He says, Ben. Yes, that's the number you dialed. Yes, yeah, Jonathan. And that is his intro to himself. Um, This is Paul's intro, Paul. So I'm not sure if Jonathan is taking something from Paul there, but Paul frequently does this. And we don't need to go from the first word of this letter to draw loads from this letter. So Paul is the Apostle Paul. You've been through, we've listened to some of your sermons to get the rhythm of of what you've been going through. Um, And you've been studying Corinthians. Yeah, 1 Corinthians? Yeah. You studied Philippians in the evening? Okay, so you know who Paul is. And he's going to Paul. But Paul is massively, massively significant. If anyone here has ever been barking up the wrong tree, anyone here has missed the point, I don't know how early you guys were saved. I don't know you very well. Maybe you recently saved. Maybe you were saved and then you, you spent a time just doing your own thing before you came back and, and started taking your salvation more seriously. Paul is right at the top of that sort of picture. He was so barking up the wrong tree that he was persecuting Christians. He was so barking up the wrong tree that Stephen, and you read about Stephen in Acts, I think it's six, um, an amazing, you read him, he's an amazing guy. I used to read the story of Stephen quite a lot. And I used to read about the death of Stephen quite a lot because he died in such a graceful way and gracious way. And Paul was there approving of Stephen's death. Paul was quite something because people who were of his school of thought were putting their clothes underneath him. They were laying their robes at his feet so that he could stand on them and be on them and they could contribute to his comfort. But he was horrendous. And Paul writes this, and Paul has written other letters in the New Testament, and the most of the second half of Acts, in fact, from about um, seven onwards, talks about Paul, his journeys, his work founding the church. And, you know, I look at the big figures of Old Testament and New Testament, the people that Jesus points out and works with, the people who are mentioned in passages uh, like Hebrews 11. And I look at them and I think, right, okay, you know, I like to think of myself as all right. Um, self-esteem is a big theme, isn't it, in, in our society? And, and I grapple with my own self-esteem, and I think, goodness, these guys in the Bible were legends. I come from a church tradition that named people as legends. You used to have a conversation. You'd say, oh, do you remember him? Oh, he's a legend. He's a legend. He's phenomenal. You may have preachers that you know, have heard of, and you think, oh, they're great people. The Bible is full of failures. Paul wasn't just a failure. He was an enemy. He was treacherous. He was dangerous. And yet, he was used. And you go through a passage like Hebrews 11, which lists great people of faith, and you will see murderers, adulterers. There's a prostitute in there. David, Moses, Rahab. They make me feel much better about my failure 
and about wasted time in my life not achieving anything for the gospel. So the first word of Philemon, this letter, says, here's Paul. Paul is a nightmare. He wasted time. He ruined relationships. He destroyed elements of the church. And God is taking him and using him to be the founder of the modern church, the founder of the New Testament church. And letters like this are going to be around for 2,000 years. Paul will write them, and then they will guide us in Binfield here through another Welsh guy who's just visiting for the week because God's got the plan in place, and he will use you. You've made mistakes, and he knows that. You've failed stuff, and he knows that. But be encouraged. Don't bury your weaknesses and your past failures because Paul didn't. He wrote about them. He acknowledges them because the failure makes the forgiveness even more amazing. So if you're here today and you're thinking, oh, yeah, I better not tell anyone about that, or I better not even think about it. Actually, no, don't dwell on it. But know that God has saved you from that. He's forgiven you from even that. And there's worse than you. And be encouraged because you can dwell on the power that's in you. Not be proud of what he's made you. I've listened to a lot of testimonies and probably given my own testimony in a way that draws attention to my skills. Oh, I was this, but now I'm really good at this stuff. I can be an example now. Jesus is the example inside of me, not me. So, whereas I might have done bad, I might be forgiven, and God might have used me in some way, but it's God's work, not my work, that is working. And it's gratitude, not pride, that I should have as a result. And that's the first word in the book of Philemon. Paul writes as an old man. He calls himself an old man in verse 9. And, you know, he's been on one amazing journey. Since he was confronted, convicted, and changed, he actually went back to Jerusalem. He actually met with Peter and spent time with the disciples. He was restored to the people that he persecuted. Galatians 1 tells us that. And he's been through the mill. People have sent him away. They've asked him to stay out of their village. We've driven through a lot of villages in our little journey. Nobody has said yet at the boundary of their village, please, please leave us. Nobody has said that. We found generally a welcome in Binfield. The Chinese takeaway man is very lovely, very welcoming. Um, People have generally been polite and kind and welcoming. Paul was sent out. They asked him, look, please don't come back. He's been debated with, he's been accused of things, he's been imprisoned, beaten, stripped, stoned, and shipwrecked. And he writes this letter from prison. Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner. But on his journey, he's been hosted by good people. He's been invited to share the gospel. He's healed sick people. He's raised one guy from death back to life. He's planted churches across the Mediterranean. He's saved many people, and he's sent out leaders. That's Paul. That's verse 1. It's not even verse 1. It's the first couple of words from verse 1. This book is amazing. Who is he writing to? In Acts 19... Um, Paul travels to Ephesus and stays there for three years or so. 
Timothy is there for a while, probably also Titus. The books of Timothy and Titus are his letters to those two young church leaders. New Testament commentators believe that a man called Epaphras was in Ephesus, and he took the gospel back home to Colossae. We're 150 miles from home. We're taking a couple of fridge magnets with us, aren't we? That's good. Um, Epaphras took the gospel and shared it with his people. And the Colossian church was born through Paul's preaching in Ephesus and Epaphras taking the gospel back to his hometown. So it's interesting. Earlier on, we we read from Colossians, and we've just read from Philemon. Colossians is a letter to the church, of which Philemon was a member. Have you ever been in a situation where you have training or instruction or a briefing as a group? And then at some point, somebody has said, can you just stay behind a little bit after this is finished? Um, And I got something specifically for you. Now, I said that in quite a nice way. It can be said in a not-so-nice way. And you could be sitting there thinking, what awaits me after the briefing is finished? You sit through the entire thing with the whole group, and then you're called specifically for something for yourself, which would usually, in a workplace, be some correction, I'd imagine. If you're a high flyer, maybe it's not. Maybe it's it's a bonus or an allowance. Who knows? So Philemon is in... This is a letter to to the church in Binfield... Philemon sits through that and listens to that. And he maybe he studies it a bit, not sure. But that letter mentions people who are close to Philemon. It mentions Onesimus, who I'll come on to, and it mentions Apphia, oh, sorry, Archippus. We believe Archippus is his son. So the Colossian letter is specifically for Philemon as a part of the church at Colossae, and yet there is also a letter to Philemon. But this isn't a letter specifically about church leadership. You read letters that are about church leadership. This isn't absolutely one of those. I'd be fearing a rebuke if I were Philemon. I'd be a little bit scared. Philemon isn't a super Christian. He's not one of the guys that that you know a lot about because he's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Even the letter to Philemon mentions Philemon once, once only. He's not a star. He's not one of the guys you, you read a lot about. I mean, in David's house, David is a, a minister, and on his shelves, there were, were there two books that mentioned Philemon? Yeah. And they mentioned Colossians and Philemon. Philemon is a lesser-known character in the New Testament church. So I think we can all relate to Philemon, because here we are engaging in society, just living with a family, And God wants to talk to us specifically, and he wants to talk to us as a part of the church. So, the letter to Colossians is to the church. The letter to Philemon is to Philemon, but the church are brought into it. starts well for Philemon. It does start well. And it does tend to start well with Paul, doesn't it? He sends some encouragement first, and then he gets on to rebuke later. So verse 1 starts well. Um, It describes 
Philemon as a dear friend and fellow worker. Tells us that he has a family. We believe he has a family. Archippus, Archippus is his son, Apthea his wife. His son is called a fellow soldier. Now, if I were a little boy, I'd love that. I'd love to be called a fellow soldier. In a letter that's addressed to dad, but also the whole church will hear it, I would love that. Even if I was a late teenager, if the apostle Paul wrote a letter and said, this is to your dad, church, listen in on this, and he mentioned my name and said, fellow soldier, I would be so encouraged. And if you've got children and you hear things that are encouraging about your children, that really does encourage you, doesn't it? I know that some people go off the rails. I know that myself from my own family history. There's a lot of of wreckage in my family. And then I've got my own three little ones and my lovely wife, and I'm really proud of them, and I'm really grateful for them. And when somebody compliments one of them, it, it warms me from the inside out. It totally does. I love it. And what we've got here is potentially Philemon's son being complimented, being brought into the mission against society, the mission that sees Paul, a prisoner in Rome, sees Archippus, a soldier in Colossae. And this tells us a little bit about Philemon. Philemon had a house, verse 2, and he opened it up for the church. Later on, Paul says, oh, by the way, also set up a guest room for me because I hope to come to you. Philemon is giving with what he's got. That's something for us. Have you got stuff? What have you got? What has God blessed you with for you to use for his purposes? Have you got nothing? It's unlikely you've got nothing. We've all got something that we've, we're able to give something we're able to share. And Philemon was one of those guys. He had some stuff. I mean, he's a Christian. Verse 5 says he's Christian. He's a man of faith and love. Faith in Jesus, bringing love for the church. So if you want to love people more, if you think, actually, I'm, I'm a Christian here. I don't really like people very much. I'm not a big fan of people. I prefer my own company. That's probably not doesn't correlate with being a Christian. Being a Christian, Acts 2 talks about the Christian church, having everything in common, selling what they had to give to others. New people are coming. We're not suspicious of new people. We welcome and value new people. And they've got stuff. They've got gifts. They've got possessions. They might have finances, which could help this mission. We welcome them in. Maybe they've got none of those. But maybe they're just amazing. Maybe they're just lovely. Maybe they've got patience and you haven't got patience. Maybe you're really busy with work and you're earning well, but you haven't got a lot of time. And there are others who may be not earning quite as well, but have time and they're going to give that precious time for the sake of the gospel in Binfield Church. Paul calls him a brother. And it's interesting, right? Because um, <clears throat> Rome was about 900 miles away from Colossae. It's a bit of a journey. Um, it's like uh, Birmingham to Binfield is about 100 miles. So that's Ephesus to Colossae. 
That's a 100-mile journey, so it's a little bit less than us. If we stopped off at Newport and shared the gospel there, maybe that would be a comparable journey. But, you know, we're going to drive past Newport and go home tomorrow. But Barcelona to Binfield is more of a comparable journey of uh, Rome to Colossae. So Philemon is going about his business. He's in church. He's doing stuff. He's got a family. He's got a business, potentially. Um, and 900 miles away, word reaches Paul that Philemon is a good guy. 900 miles away. Word has got to Paul. And that is a challenge to us. If there were going to be 25 verses written in an exchange between you and somebody else, what would be captured of your character? What is it about you that would travel 900 miles? The reputation that you've forged for yourself. But not you forged for yourself intentionally, a reputation that you forged unintentionally that is told to somebody behind your back because Philemon wasn't trying to make an impression on Paul. Word had reached Paul. Epaphras somehow was in prison in Rome with Paul. The man who brought the gospel from Ephesus to Colossae had managed to go to Rome and be imprisoned with Paul in Rome. And Epaphras, we're left to conclude this for ourselves, um, but in Colossians it does say that Epaphras has told Paul about the Colossians' love, and maybe Epaphras has mentioned Philemon by name. But maybe Onesimus has mentioned Philemon by name. Whoever it is that has told Paul Paul calls Philemon a brother. He calls Philemon a refresher of hearts. This is a major thing. Before I came here, I've been receiving emails from the Gospel Coalition. Okay, not that I'm important. They've got a mailing list. And there was an article that came to me, five, six words not to say in a sermon. And you know they're in my head, right? Not all of them, but some of them are in my head. The word thing is in there, it's on the list, and I just said thing. The word sorry is on there, so I can't even say sorry for saying the word thing, because those are two words I'm not supposed to say in a sermon. Um, and I, I'm sure it's a good guy who's written this article, but it's slightly fried my mind then for a moment. Um, just to bear, bear it in mind, you know, when you're next preaching a sermon, don't say thing, and don't say sorry, don't apologize for anything. Um, Philemon refreshes the hearts of the church. He refreshes their hearts. How he does that, we're not entirely sure, but maybe it's through just sharing what he's got. Maybe it's through being a good father. Maybe he was a good father. Maybe he was a good husband. Maybe he was a good slave owner, because we're going to read later about Onesimus and how he was a slave. But what we know is Philemon was a guy like us, he was engaging in society. He owned slaves, and Onesimus was one of his slaves. And it sounds horrific, owning a slave, doesn't it? We don't have slaves so much now, although in pockets there are, um, there are communities which do involve slavery, and it's shameful. But at the time of Philemon, people owned slaves. And sometimes the slave loved the family. Sometimes the slave, after 
he had been granted freedom, decided not to take the freedom and stay with the slave owner because the slave owner was a good man. And what we hear in this letter is not a rebuke to Philemon for being a harsh slave owner, but what we've got is you refresh the hearts of the believers. You refresh their hearts. You're not an unjust slave owner. You're not a slave driver. Your son may be a soldier for the gospel. And at the end of Colossians, it says, um, let me turn to it. It says, tell, tell Archippus, Philemon's son, see to it that you complete the work you've received in the Lord. Archippus had a ministry of some kind. And that's Philemon. There's so much more. Half an hour isn't long, is it? And, and then we have Onesimus. The subject of the letter is Onesimus. And he is a slave. He was the property of Philemon. It looks like he has stolen and ran. <clears throat> and that's left Philemon potentially out of pocket through the theft, potentially out of pocket through the fact that he bought Onesimus. Onesimus was his resource. Onesimus is a slave name. It means useful. It's, it's an ironic slave name. And Paul talks about the irony. He says, Onesimus was useless. And the name itself is useful. It talks about his transformation when he became a Christian and says, ah, oh, he was useless. But now he is useful. He's useful to you and to me. This is verse 11. That captures the realism that Paul has for this guy. He did steal, he did run away. That's not great. And in the book of Colossians, he says, slaves, respect your owners. But Onesimus has been saved. He's, re- he's found the gospel. I mean, how has this happened, right? He's a slave, he's run off, he's gone 900 miles away. Let's say he's gone to Barcelona from Binfield, because one of you owned him, and he's stolen from you, and run. And he turns up there, and he bumps into the father of the early church, Paul, and Epaphras is there too, from his hometown. Colossians would be a small church. It would be a church like this church, growing. And yet, not growing to the extent that you expect someone to be 900 miles away when you've escaped in that direction, I find probably the biggest testament to Onesimus' character in this letter is the fact that he is traveling back. So the plot here is Onesimus is with Paul. doesn't say that he's a prisoner. He may be a prisoner, but he's leaving as a free man. And he is delivering letters to the Ephesian church, and then he's delivering a letter to the Colossian church, which must have been a surprise letter to receive, Colossian church are here and the fugitive arrives with a letter from the apostle Paul for the church and then one for Philemon and the one for Philemon is specifically about the guy who's delivering the letter I wasn't expecting to see that there then that surprised me so the book of Philemon is given the letter to Philemon is given by Onesimus the subject of the letter And that I find the most striking thing about Onesimus. He goes back. How genuine is his conversion if he's prepared to put his life on the line, his future on the line, to deliver these letters and to become a part of the mission in his hometown? 
and possibly go back into slavery as a result, possibly receive the punishment he was due as a result, because Paul is asking Philemon, Philemon, will you do what's right? Will you accept an SMS back? If he's done any wrong to you, charge it to me. Paul is saying, don't punish. Don't enslave. Is he saying don't enslave? He isn't formally saying don't enslave because he gets quite a bit of um, criticism in the commentaries for not saying end slavery. Slavery should stop. What he says is, Philemon, accept Onesimus back as a brother. Is that slavery? But Paul is changing the world one person at a time. And that's a model for us. You want to change the world? Start changing things that are around you. I'm thinking of Man in the Mirror from Michael Jackson because we watched a film with that in it. But one person at a time. You look at yourself. You look at what's around you. You look at the, the, the difficulties that circle you. Maybe you overthink it. Because if Philemon received an SMS and said, okay, move out of the servants' quarters, have, have a nicer place to live, or make your own way in the world, maybe he would have to have done that to all of his slaves. Do you think like this? I think like this sometimes. If I accept the challenge in this part of my life, this challenge is not going to be isolated. I'm going to have to embrace it for other parts of my life. And society changes, the community you're in changes, and it changes for the better if you're willing to accept the challenge that Jesus sets for you. And I'm going to summarize what I think the central thrust of this is. We've talked about the three guys, the main three guys who are, who are characters in this, in this story. You've got Paul, you've got Philemon, you've got Onesimus. But I don't know if I went snow blind or what when I was preparing this sermon. But I looked back at it and I looked at the first and the last verse. So who's mentioned in the first and the last verse? I looked at verse one and I thought, actually, hang on now. Who is the reason for Paul's imprisonment? I looked at verse 3, and I thought, who is the source of grace and peace? Verse 5, who is Philemon's hope? Verse 6, the reason for Philemon growing in understanding. Who is that? Verse 7, who is the leader of the people? Verse 8, who is Paul's authority? Verse 16, who is the host or home of our holy family? And in verse 20, who is the dimension within which we do good works? And I, I had clarity, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, Christ Jesus, the Lord. Over and over again, we are pointed to Jesus. It's no mistake that the book to the Colossian church says Christ is all and is in all. And this letter, which describes and deals with a specific conflict, draws us not over and over to the qualities and the the worthiness of the people involved, like I have done so far, but it draws us over and over again to Jesus. It draws us over and over again to his grace. 
So this book, okay, it's about Paul, it's about Philemon, it's about Onesimus, and we can see ourselves in those three people. But it's about a framework for all of us to deal with person-to-person conflict because the gospel totally changes the way that we function. Jesus' grace covers us. Jesus' goodness works inside of us. Jesus' gifts work out of us. We can't take pride in that. They're Jesus' gifts. Jesus himself surrounds us. When I look around this church and I see you, I see my family and I see the church family, I see Jesus' work inside of you. You're his. You're not your own. And the impact on me is that I'm interacting with Jesus' people within whom Jesus dwells. In our enemies, we're, we're, not, we're not big on enemies in this culture, are we? We're quite relaxed, but we still have people whom we oppose. We still have people with whom we have antagonism, maybe a neighbor who parks strangely. Little things set us off. Uh, a work colleague who annoys us. Jesus died for them. If you can give them the gospel, tell you what, leave your dispute, go for the gospel instead. People in school, people who don't like, people who don't like you. So when we consider ourselves a priority, remember that this is actually all about Jesus now. This whole thing is about Jesus. Replace your sake with his sake. What would Jesus' concern be in this situation? Onesimus has offended. Yeah, small church world this, though. So if we can work this out, and that anyone who's looking at this can see, oh, the gospel transforms these people. This is the place you can go if you've made mistakes and you're repentant. You can go there because this is somewhere that you get forgiveness and acceptance. You consider yourself a victim. Remember Jesus' sacrifice. Remember that we sinned against Jesus, and we sin against Jesus, even though he is so precious and he's died for us. He's chosen to die for us. So replace your victim complex with gratitude because it, victim is so lovely to be a victim sometimes. I feel it sometimes. I think I've got the opportunity to be a victim here. I'm going to take it, and I'm going to use it, I'm going to strategize with this opportunity that I've got. Oh, man. Put that to one side. Take those opportunities away. Jesus was the victim. He's died for your sins. You are grateful for that. I am grateful for that. When we consider ourselves a citizen, you've got some status, you've got some position. Remember, your citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven now. They've got different rules. It's not about what we have who we think we are. It's not even about within church circles. Can you be the most humble outward looking? Sometimes, man, I hear people talk and they're like, they're so humble. And you think, oh man, are you putting on humility? Are you putting on extra humility for everybody? Because you want to be the guy in the church who is humble? Sometimes we do that because we are, we're manipulative. And if we can get a position through one way or another, we do these things and it's daft. Sometimes we we pretend to be willing and we're seething. Just, there are different rules here. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of God. Jesus has died for our sins, all of our sins. We haven't got the right to certain things. We've got the right where he's forgiven us. We've got the right 
to share in his sufferings. And when we think of ourselves as having agency, ownership, we own things. Philemon owned Onesimus. Remember, we're all actually owned by Jesus. So Paul may not have said, end slavery. You do not own people. He says, treat them like a brother. And that's for us today. So when you get the opportunity to respond, um, will you respond out of love? This is the challenge, okay? It's a massive challenge for me. As I function within work, as I function at home, as I get a bit irritated, as I get a bit irate with things, as I perceive somebody to be condescending towards me, that really freaks me out when somebody says something which is condescending. And I'm like, I'm better than that. Oh, I'm not better than that. So this is for me. Will I respond out of love? Will I take opportunities to refresh people's hearts? Paul says, refresh my heart. And incidentally, he calls Onesimus his heart. Refresh Onesimus. Refresh my heart. Refresh the problem. You got a problem? Refresh the problem. The very last words of Philemon are, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And Philemon is looking at Onesimus, who's wronged him, who is his property, And he's given him this letter, and he's reading the grace. This is so difficult. I should be punishing this man here, and I've read this letter, and my instincts are at odds with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you embrace it, and you put yourself to one side, and life changes. Your conflicts subside. You may be a conflict-type person. You thrive on conflict. Some people do. They love a debate. Embrace the serenity that Jesus is offering you today.